Hey, welcome to the City Paper Podcast. I'm Alex Gordon. In today's episode, future bride and City Paper staff writer Becca Nuttall sits down with me and photographer John Colombo to discuss this week's wedding issue. In that panel discussion, John refers to Becca's fiancé, Mark, as James Bond. I asked her if that was because he was British, which he is, or just because he was wearing a tux, which he was. She said, no, because he's handsome. Personally, I think he's a spy. I'm also checking in with editor Charlie Deach down at spring training with the Pirates, and Celine and I head to a farm-to-table conference at the David Lawrence Convention Center, which pretty much just means eating cheese on the job. Weddings, baseball, and farms, welcome to our accidental springtime episode. This is the City Paper Podcast. Stick around. Okay, leading off this episode's lineup, oh shit, is my phone call with Charlie down in Bradenton, Florida. I was in a windowless room. Charlie was not. Here's our talk. All right, Charlie, so what are your first impressions? You've been there for two days now. Uh, yeah, my, well, my first impressions are the best thing. I was, in, uh, I was over watching the Pirates play the Orioles over in Sarasota yesterday. And uh, one really pleasant surprise was uh, pitcher Juan Nicasio. Um, he, the, they picked him up uh, in the offseason uh, to help their pitching woes. And I think he was probably intended to be a six-star, kind of the six-starter swingman. Um, but he pitched really well yesterday, whereas uh, the remaining uh, guys who pitched yesterday for the Pirates, not so good. Um, yeah, so that was that was the biggest surprise so far from yesterday. Um, Andrew McCutcheon hit a home run, which I guess you'd expect. But, um, yeah, it's hard to tell during a preseason game exactly, you know, what it's going to mean for the season. Right, because they have to, you know, they have to fill, like, you know, a certain number of pitches, right? It's not really played like a regular game. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, especially the pitchers. The pitchers uh, just do a couple of innings. I think depending on how often, you know, how often they, you know, are trotted out. But I think most guys probably don't get more than three or four innings, and that will increase going into the last week, I'm sure, uh, next week. Um, but, yeah, they, they really have them on on probably pretty tight, uh, pretty tight uh, uh, pitch counts. So, yeah, so today we get to look at Jeff Locke, who I actually am very excited to see. It's um, going to be crazy here, actually, in McKechnie Field, if you can imagine, uh, in Bradenton, a town inhabited by uh, 90-year-olds, mostly uh, all of whom drive in front of me when I'm trying to get to the ballpark. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's St. Patrick's Day, so it's a big crowd. It's, uh, we're going to get to see the Yankees today, so um, this place is going uh, to be filled to capacity. It is also good because we're going to see Jeff Locke pitch, and Jeff Locke right now is that fifth starter, um, and he's had flashes of brilliance, and he's had flashes of uh, just horrible uh, outings that you wonder how he's you know still able to stay on a team. But um, so it'd be interesting to see today how he pitches against the Yankees. I haven't seen the Yankees starting lineup yet today, um, but you know it's always uh, it's always 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 a uh, always a tough team even in the preseason. Obviously, um, the other thing we're going to get to see today is the. Uh, Pirates debut of uh, third baseman and former World Series MVP David Freeze. So, yeah, some have, some have said he probably lost his. I think it was three seasons ago he won the MVP with St. Louis, uh, maybe four. And I think some people have think he he hasn't had a great last couple of seasons, which meant the Pirates were able to get him at a discount. But if he plays anywhere near 
uh, the level he was playing three or four seasons ago, I mean, I think he's going to end up being a great pickup for the Pirates, both to share time at third base and just to use in situational uh, uh, hitting situation, different hitting situations as well. So, yeah, looking forward. I think yeah. we think of spring uh, spring training as all about you know, prospects and, you know, these new guys. And it's interesting yeah. that it's also on the other end and seeing how the old guys or the older guys still have it. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. I mean, yeah, you've got you've got to see, you know, you want to you want to get guys out there. You want to get them work. I mean, Andrew McCutcheon played probably six innings yesterday, seven innings, and he's starting again today. Um, uh, sorry, I was distracted because the other great thing about spring training is um, – to see the fans interact with the players. Um, actually, I'm watching Josh Harrison right now, greeting some fans uh, who just came down on the field. Um, he actually was on his way back to the locker room, it looked like, and he stopped a uh, young boy in a wheelchair, and he stopped to, to talk and sign autographs and stuff. So that was really nice. But I think that's like that's the best that's the best thing about for the fans, the best thing about spring training is the chance to just get close to the players, you know, meet some guys, get some, uh, get some autographs and stuff. And uh, the kid's smiling like crazy, so that's good. Can you tell me just uh, where you are right now? Right now, I am sitting uh, just off of first base, uh, fourth row back. Um, yeah, just watching batting practice right now. Um, and that one's going to go out of here. Uh, I think that's Andrew McCutcheon. But, uh, yeah, so I'm just just chilling. I'm just sitting here uh, in the uh, the sun's starting to come out. It was pretty overcast earlier, but um, the sun's starting to come out. And... Um, yeah, it's just it's gorgeous. It, it you know I, I know that it's uh, it's technically work, but you know if I have to choose this or sitting in the office uh, today, I'll choose this. Yeah, I mean it's pretty nice in Pittsburgh today, so you know. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Is it is, is is it eighty degrees? Uh, no, it's is, like fifty eight. I think. Is the sun shining? Is there baseball in front of you, Alex? No, I'm in a, I'm in a room with no windows. Actually, <laughs> I know that room well. That's what I mean. I'd much rather be here today. Um, also, the one kind of really odd thing yesterday was uh, watching Pedro Alvarez in an Orioles uniform. And I know Pedro was both loved and maligned here in Pittsburgh, but uh, it was weird to see him wearing uh, the Orioles orange. And uh, he's compl- his beard is completely shaven off. Actually, if it if I didn't if I didn't know it was Pedro Alvarez, I might not have known uh, known it was him. It looked uh, completely different. And he only got I think one at bat yesterday. He didn't start, and uh, you could just tell by the way he was swinging the bat though he wanted to clock that thing out of the park. Um, against his old team, but uh, he struck out, which is what we were used to seeing, which is why he's no longer a pirate. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's the plan for the next week. All right, Charlie. Yeah, all good. I'll see you next week. All right, cool, man. All right, thanks. Bye. Ah, very nice sounds of spring training. Check out our Pirates preview issue on March 30th. And next week, we'll hear a little bit from Charlie's interview with Pirates third baseman Jung Ho Gung. Now for this week's soundbite segment, Celine takes us to a farm-to-table conference at the David Lawrence Convention Center. I got to tag along as well. Celine had plans to attend some speaking events, but we ended up pretty much just walking around talking to people. Here's what we learned. Hey guys, I'm Erin. How are you? I'm well, I'm Celine Roberts. How, this is nice Alex to meet you. Gordon. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. So, soundbite this week, we are at the Farm to Table Food Conference at the David Lawrence Convention Center. We were here just a few weeks ago for the Craft Beer Festival. I'm sorry, the Winter Beer Festival. Craft Beer Festival is coming up in a few weeks. 
uh, and it was a totally different environment. That was just bros out the wazoo and drunken debauchery and people screaming into my microphone. <laughs> and now it's lots of uh, low-key, I'm gonna go ahead and say it, sort of earth-minded people. I avoided saying hippie-ish. Wandering around talking about local agriculture and sustainable ways of growing food. Well, I've been really excited to come. This is sort of a food nerd stream. I know. I'm sure to just yeah. Walk around and talk to everyone. Greg Bolos, who's right there, um, talking to that woman. He was he was one of the farms that came to the first farm to table conference. Uh, Greg G R E G, and the last name is B O U L O S Bolos. Yeah, I've been I've been around a while. I was the regional governor for Slow Food and the Western director for PASA in my past life. How have you seen this conference grow? Exponentially. I was at the Bidwell when they started the thing, so it's good to see it coming along so far. Yeah, we've been involved with the local food scene for like the last 12 years, I think. My wife and I, and we bought the farm in 2008. So it's been a wild ride. And now we're, I think we are the only farm that does a meet the farmer, a face-to-face -face CSA. So our farm is very, very customer-oriented, where we will talk to our customers, we tell them recipes, we, they're allowed to come out to the farm and work with us. We have a really strong work-share program. We have apprenticeships and interns who come out and live with us over the summer to learn how to grow food. Um, we grow not only the vegetables, but we do a garden subscription where we sell the same CSA share as plants and seeds for backyard growers. And we're trying to work with folks like the North Hills Community Outreach or the Trenum Gardens, um, the Trenum Friendship Gardens at Trenum PA. And we're working with the Community Human Services to provide these garden chairs so folks can grow food for hungry people. You know, people who are on assistance, it's like, we can't get them enough kale. <laughs> so, um, originally, a CSA is a way for the consumer population to support and have a direct relationship with the farmer. And so it's a way that the, the farmer in, the, in a place where land values are increasing, where it's really hard to keep farms going, like questionable climate or whatever, there's all these challenges and risks of farming and so the customers basically band together and they say we're going to keep this farm going and so in the front of the season in march and april they pay the farmers cost and expenses for operating their farm for the whole season they're not paying the profits of the farm they're just keeping the farm going hello how you doing I'm Homestead Phil, cool. and we uh, I'm up in Armstrong County. Our mission is families helping families to bring one food source closer to their table, and we're doing that through chickens. Uh, Rent the Chicken provides a coop, two hens. Uh, they lay about a dozen eggs a week. Um, we provide all the food, everything you need. Free delivery at the Greater Pittsburgh area. We deliver to you. You get your eggs. You enjoy everything. After six months, you can either adopt the coop and the supplies, or you can chicken out and we'll take everything back to the farm. What happens if you don't chicken out? Do you have like a, do you have someone come out and set up the coop and do like a little chicken crash course with the person? <laughs> so uh, the way the process works is we bring the coop to you and at the end of the six months, if you decide that um, you want to keep everything, you pay an adoption fee, you keep the coop, 
you keep the hens. Uh, we also send you a heated water dish so that you uh, don't have to deal with frozen water during the winter. And no roosters. No roosters. Roosters are loud. And mean. Well, they're protective. They protect their... Um, roosters serve a, a couple different functions. First, um, if a predator comes to try to have dinner when all you want is breakfast, right? Because you get breakfast every day, you only get one dinner. If a predator comes, the rooster will be the first to die because he's protecting the flock. Um, in a free-range environment, a rooster will run around, and when he sees food, he will make a clucking noise and call the hens to come get food. So roosters have more of a role like that. Uh, the reason, reason why roosters seem like they're mean is because they're being protective. Our chickens are also very social. They're on Facebook, facebook.com slash rentthechicken. They're on Instagram.com slash rentthechicken. What's your name? My name's Celine Roberts. Okay, I'm Roderick Shank. Nice to meet you. Number one reason, or maybe first couple reasons why people should drink raw milk, is number one, it still has all the live enzymes and probiotic bacteria in it. A lot of people are lactose intolerant, but that's kind of a misnomer because really they can drink raw milk just fine because raw milk still has the enzyme lactase. Lactase is necessary to digest lactose, the milk sugar. And raw milk naturally has lactase, but during pasteurization, lactase is killed because it is very heat sensitive. And so that's one reason. We have, I don't know, at least 30% of Americans that are lactose intolerant. And so we have people that come into our store and they're like, this is so amazing, I can drink milk now. I haven't been able to drink milk for 20 years. And they're like, tears falling down their face. Of course, there are some safety concerns. You just gotta make sure your farmer is doing it very clean, very safe. We test every single batch of milk before we sell it. Uh, are you all from a Mennonite background? Yeah, we're Mennonites. Okay. Do you find that there is, um, my family is Amish a few generations oh, really? back. Well, that's cool. um, obviously a difference, but yeah, same sure. sort of Western PA, yeah, yeah, sure. PA Dutch roots. Yep. Do you find that a lot of the members of your community are involved in this boom that's happening with the, you know, the demand it's for heritage products? Uh, good question. There's kind of a divide. Because Amish and Mennonites are not as connected with internet often, a lot of them aren't, therefore most of them aren't quite up on the... Sure, it's free. Some of them aren't as up on some of the new findings that scientists have been realizing with raw milk and real foods as compared to sterile foods. And so there's a lot that are still doing it just because, I mean, almost all Mennonites and Amish drink raw milk straight from the farm. That's pretty much a given. But as far as the sustainable foods and organic and all that, there are quite a few who have really, really embracing those ideas, but there's also some that are kind of like, uh, they want to give it more time before they believe it. Got mozzarella, smoked mozzarella, hot pepper, cheddar, Swiss Gruyere, ricotta with black. Chocolate. My first name is Elisa, and my last name is Fosnot. Well, we've done this for ten years. We've been along for the ride from the beginning, so we we enjoy it. It's our feature show for the year. Um, we certainly see ourselves as Yinzer as the Yinzer cheese of choice for sure because we're from this area. Uh, so this is home for us, and you know we want to come and we want to show off the very best at what we think is one of the best hands-down food markets in the country.
farm to table. Pittsburgh for sure. Very exciting. Have you seen it change and evolve over the 10 years that you've been here? Yes. Uh, I've seen it come from an infancy where everybody's going, what's artisan mean? And you spend like a lot of time explaining the definition of that word. Now, don't need to explain that word. People don't ask, they know, because the consumer has grown along with the movement. Yeah, I think in large part because the consumer has driven the movement. It is, really is a consumer-driven experience. People want something specific from this experience. They want to be closer to their food source. They want to know more details. They want to have transparency. And I think most of all, they want to have a relationship. They want to reach out and touch the producer, the farmer, the person who's the closest to making that food and bringing it to you. Hey. Um, hey. Yeah, hey, Leah. We met before. Before. I know you have big hair. I do. <laughs> you do your unicorn hair. I've been doing my unicorn hair <laughs> for a while now. <laughs> so I'll let Leah take it from here. Uh, so, for what do Food Rescue, we're celebrating our one year anniversary this year, I mean, this March. And what we do is our mission is to prevent the 40% of food that goes to waste into going to waste. So, we redirect surplus food that's about to go to the landfill but are still perfectly viable and we redirect it to nonprofits that serve those who are people. And we do that through our really amazing, really committed network of volunteers. We work with grocery stores and wholesalers. Um, we work with some caterers. We're not yet really into the restaurants because um, that's really more um, volatile food because it's cooked. Um, so we're waiting for our truck. We have a truck that's coming and it's a refrigerated truck and it's gonna come sometime in the summer and then we're gonna start kind of trying to rescue. Um, this all over and we've been working with Chef David Bowman from Made Trade just to show how beautiful recipe and how you know how it's not what people think when they you know when they think of dumpster diving. What did Chef David plate for me? So Chef David plated um, a ribeye that he cooked sous vide, which is just amazing, and he covered that, I mean, he put that on top of a spinach sauce, so all the spinach is also rescued, and then a gremolata that's made from breadcrumbs and thyme and herbs, and the breadcrumbs are also rescued, I mean, from bread. I'm sure Alex will volunteer to eat the rest of this. The taster. Absolutely. The mushroom's great. See a little bit of thyme in there? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. It's really good to see you again. I know. I love your hair. Thank you. Thank you, Celine, and thanks to Leia for coining that phrase, unicorn hair. I love it. I think it's going to stick. Also, thanks to all of our subjects at the convention for talking to us. Next, I'm talking with photographer John Colombo and staff writer Rebecca Nuttall about our wedding issue. 
Like I mentioned earlier, Becca and her real-life James Bondish fiancé Mark were featured as models in this issue, with photos by Mr. Columbo. Personally, I'm not married, but I've been a best man twice, and when I was a kid at my cousin's wedding, I cleared an entire dance floor with my moves to Mustang Sally. People still talk about it, so I'm not totally unqualified. Anyway, here's our talk. All right, so I feel like a good place to start and also to reveal to our listeners is that you actually shot... Uh, Becca and Mark as models for this uh, wedding issue. Can you tell me a little bit about that shoot? Yeah, sure. Um, So we did the Becca and Mark shoot in Lawrenceville at Glitter and Grit, which was a really nice shop. And um, Lisa, the art director at City Paper, had picked the space uh, in advance um, because she had this vision. And we had this really nice wall that she wanted to feature Mark and Becca on. And um, I'm thinking, did we just try the one dress on or two down there? No, we just tried the one on. That's, and- what, I, that's what I was thinking. It wasn't a big deal. We just found you a dress and put you in it and um, put uh, Becca and Mark through their paces, and it went really well. It was fun. Becca, were you anxious at all about being a model in this uh, context? So I was very nervous. That's just the kind of person I am, um, especially because when me and Mark took our engagement pictures, um, my uncle just took them, and he did a really great job. But in all of them, Mark looks, like, perfect, right? Like, he looks like he's a model, <laughs> and I was just so critical of myself. So I was nervous going in, but the pictures turned out great. John did a great job. So you say that you're nervous, uh, but that Mark turned out great. Was Mark nervous? Um, I think he was a little bit more nervous at the photo shoot than he was, you know, just taking pictures with my family for our engagement photos. But I think he did a good job. I think he seemed pretty relaxed. I I think he seemed relaxed, too. And you did have the harder job because you had to feature the dress, right? That's what it was all about. So Mark was more – and even at a real wedding, the groom often ends up being the prop to show (laughs) off how beautiful the bride looks, right? (laughs) And so he, all he had to do was stand there and kind of be like James Bond <laughs> as we, you know, moved you around him. <laughs> so, yeah. John, when, uh, if you ever have in the context of a wedding and a couple is really anxious or maybe camera shy, don't really like uh, being in front of the camera, how do, you, how do you approach that? How do you put them at ease? How I usually start is I just say, go over there wherever I want them to go. And I was just pointing across the room. And they stand and I start to give them a little verbal coaching and – If I notice, usually they're stiff because most people aren't used to getting their picture taken on a regular basis. Um, I freelance all over the city in addition to doing weddings, so I'm always dealing with different people, trying to get them to relax, look their best. So I'll start really gentle and give them suggestions and walk over and readjust hair or dresses or necklaces. You know, I'm very detail-oriented. Usually after a while, they'll relax after I give them some tips. If not, then I take it up a notch, <laughs> and I really start directing. But they usually they usually start to get into it, and I, I give them, especially the brides, I'll give them little silly things to do, like, you know, just spin a little bit. You know, I want to catch your dress in motion, but have your face ready for the camera. And most of them don't have a problem with it. So you also shot uh, the cover for last year's wedding issue, uh, which had a great response. Can you just tell us about that shoot for for people who might not uh, know which one it was? Yeah. um, Last year, we had this idea to use the same model as the bride and the groom. And Lisa, here at City Paper, asked me to find a model that would look good as a man and a woman. And it took me about three seconds, and I thought of my 
this friend of mine who is a very successful drag performer, not just locally, but spends a lot of time in Los Angeles. His stage name is Lola LaCroix. Uh, Kevin Nelson. I believe his last name is Nelson. I was thinking of his Lola. I had to take him to fittings for a tux. I had to take him to fittings for the dress. So we did the shoot at my studio, being that he was the bride and the groom. We had to uh, blow out the background so we could cut them out and put them together. So Everything was going smooth, and except that our, we were waiting on our flowers, and our flowers never showed up. So we did the male part first, which was more simple, and then he needed like an hour to transition into the bride. Right. So while he was getting ready to transition into the bride, Elisa and I copped in the car, and we ran over to Whole Foods. So they made us a very beautiful bouquet, and... Um, Took it back, got home, finished the shoot up, and the cover really got um, a lot of response. And I'm hoping this year is just as well received. How was uh, how was this shoot for this year's cover different? Well, this year we went with a friend of mine. Um, my recommendation, uh, my friend Danielle Mock, who is um, a makeup artist and. Danielle is fun and um, one of the most polite, loving people I've ever met. And also being that we weren't doing, um, you know, we used a woman as a woman instead of a man this year. That was a little easier. Danielle did her own makeup and um, the Warhol was gracious and loaned us a space for the shoot, loaned us their space for the shoot. Yeah. Where, uh, where in the Warhol did you shoot it? We shot in the entryway and we shot in the uh, main lobby. Hmm. I actually went to a wedding at the main lobby there. It was amazing. I've actually shot. I've actually shot a wedding really? in the yeah, main lobby there. A real wedding. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the dress and the tux in this issue? Um, yes. Um, Anne Gregory for the bride on West Liberty Avenue was kind enough to loan us uh, the dress and the headpiece that you will see on the cover and uh, for the center spread because I was the one that contacted them and asked for the dress, it had to go to my house and the headpiece. And I was like, at first I didn't really think about it. And then I was like, I have to be in charge of this expensive headpiece and dress <laughs> for like a week. And I'm thinking, where can I hide it? Like lock it in the closet. <laughs> but what did you do with it? I, I did, ended up putting it in my main closet okay. and I just p- forgot it was there. <laughs> I didn't open the door. I tried to stay away from it. And then we went to Eon's fashion antique on Ellsworth Avenue. I'm good friends with Richard Parsakian who owns it. And so Richard did most of the fitting and the picking for Mark's tux. And I just sort of stood back and just said, well, okay, it needs uh, a pocket square. It needs, cause I shoot weddings all the time and right. I could just glance and go, okay, what's missing. All right. Throw that, uh, throw a vest on him. Yeah. We need a pocket square, but Richard really did most of the work. Hmm. All right, Becca, so you wrote for the wedding issue last year as well. Obviously, one big difference is you're engaged now. How is it different? So I guess um, what really struck me this year, our theme was um, how to make your wedding unique, um, partly because we're city paver, but also because I think, you know, a lot of us here realize that um, brides and grooms are so bombarded with images on Pinterest and all the different, you know, websites. And there are a ton of different wedding issues, even in Pittsburgh. So for me, I wrote the 
article on hair and makeup, and I also wrote the article on flowers. And um, there's a lot of really great um, florists in Pittsburgh doing kind of really unique things. Um, We're seeing a lot more people not using the traditional flowers like roses and peonies, and a lot of people using a more, um, almost a more like farm fresh look, if that is the great way to describe it. But it's a lot of stuff like ferns, a lot of greens, ivy. So the florist that I interviewed is called, the shop is called The Farmer's Daughter. So a lot of the stuff that she uses are those really lush looking flowers, um, different things like that. For the hair and makeup, I interviewed the um, stylist at Salon Ivy, which was um, voted Pittsburgh City Papers in the best of issue for the best salon in Pittsburgh. And they talked with me about um, the different hairstyles that they've been doing lately, some of the trends that they wish would go away, um, and some of the ones that they just know are here to stay, like the braids that a lot of brides are doing these days. And they really just talked to me about, you know, when you are meeting with your stylist for your wedding, what should you bring? How should you prepare? And the conversation you should have to make sure you're getting the look that you want. How far away are we now from your wedding? So I guess we're almost at the two-month mark for my wedding. I'm getting married on May 28th. How you feeling? Feeling good. Uh, I feel like w- we've been putting off a lot of things that <laughs> we probably should have done by now. It always seemed like it was something that was in the future that, you know, we don't have to do anything now because, you know, we're not getting married for so long. Well, now, like, it's crunch time and we have to start getting on some things. If you're getting married or just enjoy looking at wedding magazines, you can find ours on the stands today or online at www. PGHCityPaper.com. Big thanks to Becca and John Colombo for talking with me. Celine Roberts here with your weekend calendar. The gallery revision space in Lawrenceville is opening their final exhibit on Thursday. The owner is on a new projects in Texas and is celebrating the work of revision space with the 16th and final exhibition titled For the Win, Fare Thee Well. The work will be from a mix of local artists and some from the wider world. Come drink bubbly, see some art, and get a crack at a special backroom sale. One gallery closing deserves one immediately opening. Across town in the East End, Creative Reuse is launching their own gallery on Thursday night. The work will be from their artist residency program, in which a Pittsburgh artist creates a body of work that celebrates reclaimed materials while highlighting the concept of creative reuse. R-I-C-Y-C-L-E Recycle. No one else remembers that song from grade school? Just me? Okay. Row House Cinema and Real Q Pittsburgh is hosting a screening of Short Bus, written by John Cameron Mitchell, who played the title role in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. The plot of the movie revolves around a group of sexy and sexually diverse characters who are trying to make it in New York City. For a bonus, John Cameron Mitchell will be right in the audience with you. It's bunny season, which means adorable little children can run around the Carnegie Museum of Natural History for their annual egg hunt. Clues will be hidden in the museum and lead to sweet treats. While it's no longer the 80s, you can still catch a b-boy crew doing their thing in Spring Garden this Saturday. There will also be live painting, DJs, and beers from Full Pine. Well, that's it, guys. I'm Celine Roberts. Get out there this weekend. Okay, that's all we have for episode 10. Thank you so much for listening. 
The City Paper Podcast is produced by Ashley Murray and me, Alex Gordon, with Celine Roberts. Featured today were editor Charlie Deach, staff writer Rebecca Nuttall, photographer John Colombo, and the many fine folks of the Farm to Table Conference. Thanks to all. Today's episode featured music from local one-man experimental rock project, Unfinished Symphonies. You can download his track, Uh Uh-huh, from our Fast Forward music blog at www.pghcitypaper.com. Additional music by me, Alex Gordon. Like Homestead Phil's Chickens, we are a social bunch. You can find us on all those social media sites you like and none of the ones you don't. If you're streaming this from our website, get with the times, man. Subscribe to the City Paper Podcast on iTunes. Next week includes a new interview that has nothing to do with Pittsburgh or timeliness or news. I'm super excited about it. I basically just interviewed a comedian I really like. So come back for that. Thanks. Take care of yourself. <laughs>